0: Good morning, Orangewood. Very lame. Good morning, Orangewood. That's better. That's the refreshing Orangewood greeting that I expect. And when I hear the name of Orangewood, honestly, uh, it refreshes my heart. Let me tell you some of the reasons why. Uh, First of all, uh, Orangewood's reputation uh, preceded my coming to this area. I was pastoring in Atlanta And I would hear about the good things God was doing through Orangewood. Uh, CeCe and Jerry Balboni came from this church and joined our church. And they started telling me how wonderful a church this was. And I said, well, we're not that good. uh, And I'm not as good as Chuck, but maybe you can make me and uh, the church better. And they did. And so uh, we planted a church uh, from our church there in Atlanta. And I got church planting uh, in my blood decided, uh, or the Lord decided for us that uh, He wanted us to come plant a church, and Florida is our home, born and raised in Coral Gables, and thought we'd like to come to Florida. I had traveled this area as a banker for a number of years, and uh, loved the central Florida area. Uh, Probably went through Lake Mary, never knew that Lake Mary existed. Uh, There weren't any banks there to call on at that time, but uh, the Lord kind of settled uh, that this is the place that... uh, we'd like to have you plant a church. So with that, uh, I found out that Orangewood, uh, who's the flagship church of this presbytery uh, from day one and and has maintained that high uh, standard, that Orangewood Church had designs to plant a church there themselves sometime, and that they sort of had dibs on it. uh, And that uh, uh, the Pope of Presbytery, Chuck Green, was the one that I had to get the permission of to go into Lake Mary. Uh, it's strange some of the dates you remember in your life, but December 20th, 1990, uh, in, the, in a session meeting, Chuck called me on the phone, and he said, I just want to let you know that uh, the session has just met uh, your leaders in your church here, and uh, we welcome you to come into the Lake Mary area. So that was a refreshing phone call. And then about 19 years ago, uh, Chuck asked me to come uh, stand in your pulpit and announce the opening of our church uh, and to tell you that if you had any friends in the Lake Mary area that were looking for a church that uh, you would encourage them to uh, try River Oaks. And so uh, it's been a, a wonderful long-standing relationship. Uh, Chuck and I have a great friendship. We talk almost every week on the phone. I consider him to be my pastor. Uh, And it's just a a joy to come here today to preach to you. Uh, Thank uh, Jeff Jakes and uh, Joe Creech for their invitation, as well as the other elders. Uh, I notice you take the offering before the sermon, so there's no pressure on me today. Um, In Chuck's fashion, let me start by saying his name was Peter Marshall, not the game show host. But a man who was Scottish, he came to the United States to Atlanta, Georgia, to go to seminary, as he felt the call of God to preach God's word. He was single. He was good-looking. Uh, he had it all going for him. Uh, a woman by the name of Catherine uh, from Agnes Scott uh, caught his eye, and they ended up getting married. And uh, among the other things, he preached uh, and was preacher from 1935 to 39 at the church I served in Atlanta from 79 to 91 before coming here. And then he went to the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., where he concurrently became the chaplain of the United States Senate. And he distinguished himself in the pulpit and uh, at the Senate. And one of the works of his that I remember and like most is a work called uh, The Keepers of the Springs, And this sermon was preached on the occasion of Mother's Day about mothers, but I want to expand that a little bit today, if I may, to apply to all of us, especially you here at Orangewood today. The story uh, in his sermon goes something like this. There was a beautiful little city, a beautiful town. It had a a gorgeous lake where the swans and other uh, ducks and birds migrated and, and visited, Uh, It was a tourist attraction. There was a gorgeous mountain uh, whose uh, springs from the melted snow uh, fed the pond in the city, uh, fed them their pristine water. And there was a new uh, group of city fathers that gathered, and they started looking at the budget. And someone said, what is this position we've got that we pay for on our budget called the keeper of the springs? And nobody seemed to really know. Somebody remembered, although couldn't recall the person's name, that there was this guy that lived up on the mountain in the city, and it was his job just to go along and look at all the streams and take out the twigs and the leaves and to make sure none of the water was brackish that flowed down into the city, Uh, and that was his job. And they said, well, you know, that seems pretty unnecessary to me to have such a person like that. So uh, they dismissed him uh, in their employment. Before very long, the brackish water started feeding down into the pond. Uh, The ducks went away, the tourists went away, and um, the water wasn't very good to drink in their city, and they realized the mistake they had made. I would liken Orangewood Church unto the keeper of the springs. Uh, The water that flows from this place into this community of Maitland and the surrounding communities from which you come, uh, it's your calling of God to keep those springs clean and pure and to feed those around you in a wonderful way that keeps things alive and vibrant and fresh and refreshing. And so that's my uh, challenge to you today, to keep that up, because I think you've always had that reputation. And I want to uh, go to what I think is one of the most refreshing little passages in Scripture that there is. It's uh, Paul's letter to a man by the name of Philemon. If you want to turn to that book with me, you may. If you're looking for it, it's in the New Testament, just before Hebrews uh, and after uh, 2 Thessalonians. I love to preach through books, and when you have an opportunity to preach like I am today, I, I rack my brain of all the topics and subjects and passages in which uh, the Lord would have me preach, and he said, why don't you just do a book, the shortest one that Paul wrote. Let me give you a little uh, cliff note as to what to be listening for as you hear God's Word. And, and before I even say that, because one of the first points we're going to talk about today is the refreshing relationship between the writer— of this letter and the recipients. But let's remember that while Paul is credited with having written this letter, it's under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the instrument of the Holy Spirit. Um, We read in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 that God's word is God breathed. And no author ever wrote anything, no prophet ever spoke anything, uh, but by the the direction of God in his life to do uh, and to write what uh, he did. And I think that's refreshing that I believe that. You know all the people that don't believe that? And maybe there's some here today who have doubts about this being God's word. And, and just pray, if you will, God, if this really is your word, make it come alive to me. Give me the joy of, of reading it and having it speak back to me. I challenge you to do that and see if indeed uh, it doesn't come back to you as it is God's word. This is God's Word. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word, and may He write these truths on our hearts. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Phia, our sister, and our our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, a few more cliff notes here. uh, There was a a man by the name Onesimus who was Philemon's slave. And it seems as though from what we're about to read that Onesimus went AWOL and he probably uh, stole something from his master Philemon uh, to boot. Uh, He ends up in jail in Rome where Paul is and Paul leads him to the Lord. And now Paul is sending him back and appealing to Philemon to receive him back. And this is a pretty significant request because any slave that would run away, the master had every right to kill them in those days. That was their right to do. Any slave would have an F put on their forehead for fugitive that was a runaway. And so this is a major request that he's making. And I want you to notice too, and I just just love this about Paul, how he sticks the knife in and twists it. and and uses leverage in his friendship with Philemon, whom he also led to the Lord. Listen to these things. How could you not follow the request of Paul if you were Philemon? Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, get out the violin. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So let's look at the uh, refreshing relationship that exists between the writer, or we might say writer's, and the recipients. We know that Paul is the writer. It's very possible that uh, it was Timothy whom he also led to the Lord. Remember, he calls him his dear son. He writes Timothy a couple of letters as well. It's Timothy who's actually writing most of this letter down, almost by dictation from Paul under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is writing there along with Timothy. And then, uh, as we uh, note also, Uh, there are some other characters that we pick up in uh, verse 23 that are along for the ride as well. They're there uh, ministering to Paul in prison. Uh, Let's talk about a few of those because I think it's uh, important to to note them. They are all called in uh, verse 23, fellow workers. There is this uh, one by the name of Epaphras, and he reminds me of Chuck Green. Let me tell you why. Uh, it would appear uh, from verse one in uh, chapter two of Colossians that Paul never visited uh, the Colossian church. Uh, Now, why do I bring that up? Because this letter that was written to Philemon was written to the area where Colossae was, uh, where Hierapolis and Laodicea were. And uh, this letter was probably circulated among all those churches in that place and we see most of these names also mentioned in uh, the book of Colossians. And it would appear to me uh, from verse uh, 7 of chapter 1 in Colossians that uh, Epaphras was the planter of the church there in Colossae. Colossi. It says there, uh, God bless you, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your own behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And then in chapter uh, four, verse 12, we read this further about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling in your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and be assured in all of the will of God. That reminds me of Chuck Green. Uh, We've talked on the phone. I know how he's prayed for this church uh, since his retirement, prior to his retirement, how much he loves this church. And I'm uh, grateful that you welcome him uh, back in your presence as wonderfully as you do and shame on you if you didn't uh, and shame on River Oaks if they don't extend me the same courtesy uh, which they haven't um, they they had a real going away party for me I'll tell you that <laughs> and so we have Epaphras, Epaphras and then Mark and, and the reason I love Mark being mentioned here is that you may remember Mark had a falling out with Paul. He was on a missionary journey with Paul and he deserted and Paul wanted nothing to do with him. He didn't want to take him on any more journeys. Barnabas uh, took uh, Mark along later. But this is after that time. And now all the appearance is that Mark's name being mentioned here, he's back in the good graces of the Lord. He's walking with the Lord and he's trucking along with Paul. Then we meet a guy by the name of Aristarchus, uh, and these references uh, indicate that he was Paul's traveling companion. It's always good to have someone going with you in ministry. And then Demas, I wish he weren't mentioned. Uh, This is not refreshing. Uh, Demas, if you look in the reference that we have uh, in your uh, overhead, Demas is said there in 2 Timothy to have been in love with this present world and has deserted me what a shame. I pray that when I get to heaven, uh, I'll see uh, Demas and he will have fallen out of love with the world and back in love uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. But let that be a message to those of us who find the world so tantalizing and so titillating and so alluring, uh, who find ourselves with a foot in the world and a foot in Christ. Uh, That's not the way to follow him. Uh, Let's get both feet uh, in with Jesus and let's not fall uh, by the way that Demas did. And then uh, Dr. Luke, he was uh, the beloved physician in all the wee passages in the book of Acts. uh, He is the one referring to himself. We know that Paul had some physical malady. Uh, Most likely, uh, Dr. Luke was along for the ride to help him uh, with whatever physical problems that he had. If you like trivia pursuit, uh, and there's one person from my church here today, and so he better keep quiet. Uh, but uh, because he's heard this before do you know who wrote the most material of scripture and you're going to say Paul and I'm going to hit the button that says "Eh." and then you're going to say John I'm going to it was Luke Luke and Acts is more material more verses of scripture than all of what Paul's got in his many books and all of what John has in his if you don't like trivia pursuit I'm sorry I wasted your time And then he says, uh, grace and peace to you. First of all, grace. uh, I want you to understand something. Uh, And here's the reason you need to listen to me today. And you should want to listen to me today because I know more about grace than Chuck Green, Jeff Jakes, and Joe Creech. Why? Because I'm older and I've sinned more and I have been forgiven more and I've gone to the Lord for his grace more often than any of them have. And my guess, if I were 10 years younger than any of them, I'd still know grace better because I sin more than they do. Uh, and, and isn't it wonderful, how refreshing is it that we read in John, in John 15:16 that He chose us, we didn't choose Him. The reason we love Him in 1 John, because He first loved us. That's what grace is all about. And that's why I find this church so refreshing, because grace has been the template uh, of this church all through these years, and it's continued on. Uh, there's a, a marvelous little book. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember a thing about it, but the title, and the title is "A Turtle on a Gatepost." It was written by an, a man by the name of Alan Emery, and uh, Alan picked up a pastor, Bob Lamont, uh, who was pastoring First uh, Pre- Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh at the time. Picked him up at the airport, and he started. Giving him some accolades and whatnot, laying it on thicker than Joe did this morning, uh, and God will forgive you for that. And I'll forgive you for that. Uh, but um, and, and Bob Lamont said, "Look, I'm just a turtle on a gatepost." Now think about it. How's a turtle get on a gatepost? It doesn't shimmy up there. Someone puts it there. Now I've never seen one, but I like that title. And all of us are turtles on a gatepost when it comes to our salvation, our redemption, our forgiveness in Jesus Christ our future eternal security, God put us there and, and grace to you. That's, that's the template of this church that makes you so refreshing. And then peace. And uh, Jack had some words to say about peace this morning as well. Uh, I think of this church and, and, and some of the, the highlights. If we showed some of the highlights on the screen of the church today, uh, it would be you planted uh, Pine Ridge as the first church that you planted. And then you planted Willow Creek. Now, there are sacrifices to be made. We planted a church in Atlanta, and I know. We lost members. We lost money. That is not something in your right mind you would do. But in your mind of peace, that God is in control, and this is his will, and he's going to take care of you, and he's going to take care of them. You can have a peace about that, and you let people go. You'd be a lot larger church today, have a lot more money. You'd probably have your own sanctuary by now if you hadn't done that, but good for you. And then, um, inadvertently, you planted St. Paul's. And then you also uh, planted uh, University Presbyterian Church. They started the same day we did, September 15th, 91, and they've planted a church themselves. Do you see the extension of, of what you've been doing over the years as you're extending the peace of the kingdom? You talk about passing the peace. And then you made the transition uh, from Chuck to Bob Cargo, and you made the transition to Jeff Jakes. Uh, if, if Jeff would just get over his shyness, I think he would do very well. Uh, I love this guy. Uh, he, he loves me. He makes it known how much he loves people. Hey, talk about a refreshing person. And, and then the unheard of thing. Do you know, I don't know if everybody knows you did that, did this. I'm not sure I'm supposed to tell. But you gave $50,000 away to University Presbyterian Church. Like you didn't need 50000 What's Jeff always been saying? It's not about us. It's about the Lord. It's not ours, it's his, give it away. Isn't that his mantra? And, and how refreshing is that in a greedy, grabby little world like we have today, even in churches today that are greedy and hold on and grab hold of things uh, as though they belonged to them. One of my favorite um, symbols for peace is a picture in the Louvre. Um, not that I'm any uh, big art uh, connoisseur, but um, it's a picture of a mother bird on a branch, sitting on a nest with her pinions, her wings covering the baby birds that are hers in the midst of a huge storm. And the name of that piece is peace. That's what Jack was talking about. Whether you're going, peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's that wonderful thing that only comes from knowing the Lord and having a personal relationship with him in the midst of conflict. And I've seen that in this church over and over, and that's significantly refreshing. And then uh, we uh, get to this place where uh, we're finding out who he's writing to. He's writing to Philemon. uh, And he led Philemon to the Lord, as was obvious, Aphia and Archie. Uh, we don't know who they are. Aphia is probably Philemon's wife, and Archie is probably their son, but we don't know that for sure. Uh, Archie appears in Colossians as a leader of the church in Laodicea there, and so uh, there is also a church that meets at their house, and, and I am so bullish on small groups. Uh, this church has been refreshing over the years as well, because you've uh, really uh, put small groups in the forefront of the ministry of this church. Uh, I'm just going to ask you to pray right now that if you're not in a small group, ask God if it's his will for you to be in a small group. And if he says no, fine. But let me just ask you one thing, and I tell my people at River Oaks this all the time. Um, The one thing I hear, more than anything else, why people don't get in a small group, I'm too busy. And I say, can I give you one reason why you should be in a small group? And they say, yeah, because you're too busy. You need to be with people, like-minded people to build your faith. Sunday morning is great, but it's not enough. Not for me. I've always been a part of a small group, and I encourage you uh, to have a house church like uh, Philemon did. And he was known, and they were known for their love uh, and their faith for the saints. Uh, You know, so many times I hear uh, people shying away that know the Lord, love the Lord, have been called by the Lord, shying away from this word, saint. Oh, I'm no saint. You are a saint because God made you one. He called you unto himself. Uh, He's made you holy. He's made you righteous. That's how he sees you. That's one of the hardest things theologically for me still to conceive of and believe that the Lord looks at me right now as holy and righteous in his sight. And he looks at you the same way, no matter what nasty thoughts you've already had today, no matter what you said to your wife or your husband or your kids or your kids to you, uh, no matter how much you're going to violate the Sabbath, he he loves you. Don't use that as license, but he loves you and he's made you holy. Uh, A little boy was asked once uh, by his friend, what's a saint? And the only thing that the little boy knew uh, in terms of how to answer the question was that there were these stained glass windows in the church and they all had the names of saints on them. And so he said, that's something that light shines through. We need to be that which light shines through. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world, and we're to be the light of the world, and we're to let his light shine in all the dark places. Uh, Then, as we read on here um, with regard to some of the other things, uh, they also uh, were people who shared their faith. Paul prayed that they'd be effective in the sharing of their faith. I'm bullish on relationships. And it's interesting that I would be so, and it's of God, because I'm an introvert, and I really don't care about you at all. Uh, I don't need you. I don't need to be with you. I'm fine by myself. But the Holy Spirit tells me differently. He tells me I need to be in small groups. He tells me I need to be in relationships with believers to encourage me in the faith. And He tells me I need to be in relationship with people who don't believe as well, and that He may just use me in the process of drawing people to Himself uh, by His grace. I'd like to ask you a question, and this is dangerous, but every time I do it, it works. How many of you who know the Lord were led to the Lord by somebody you knew? Family member or friend, raise your hand. Look at that. That's the majority by anybody's estimation, all right? The vast majority. And yet you say to me and I say to you, I could never lead anybody in my family to the Lord. I could never lead my friends to the Lord. Those are the exact people on whom you can have the most influence. Not that you can't lead strangers to the Lord. Chuck does that all the time. Um, I remember a woman came in my office one day, and I was sharing the gospel with her. And I asked her if she'd like to receive Christ, and she said she would. And I asked her, is there any reason you haven't done so up until now? And she says, nobody's ever asked me. I'll never forget that line, nobody's ever asked me as the business term goes, make the ask. All they can do is say, no, I've never heard anybody been punched in the nose yet when they asked somebody. Uh, They didn't lose their friendship. Love people enough to ask them if they want a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and and by God's grace, show them the way. And you say, well, I, I just don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know theology. And the reason I don't is I'd get asked a question I couldn't answer and I'd set them back uh... years in their spiritual growth uh... i took a guy out on an evangelism explosion call in minneapolis once upon a time and he was now ready to give the presentation that night he had watched me uh... then he was ready to do it himself he did the absolute worst job i have ever seen in my life there are five points he only uh... got four of them and he had them all out of order He had the wrong scripture to go to the wrong point, the wrong illustrations, but he persevered. And he said, does this make sense to you? Which is the punchline. And the guy said, yes. (laughs) And he accepted the Lord. And I, and I saw this guy walk with the Lord. God works in strange, wonderful and mysterious ways. So uh, the sharing of your faith, Uh, I like what Joseph Aldrich has to say. And I wouldn't say this is the complete definition of evangelism. But he says evangelism is loving people until they ask you why. I mean, what kind of bait are you using? Loving people, that's the best bait there is. It doesn't have to be scripture. Uh, They trust you. They see how the Lord's working in your life. They know you're not perfect, but they know you're trusting in him and you're loving on them. That's part of the bait. And there's more that I'll talk about here in just a moment as well. And... So Paul derived much comfort and joy from these people, uh, and and they had uh, Philemon and others had refreshed their heart. Uh, Jeff, talk about refreshing! I took the risk of leaving my phone on on purpose because I wanted to pull this up. I'm glad it didn't ring. Um, let's see here. Uh, July seventeenth, three thirty-three p.m. from four zero seven nine two zero. 0496. Preach Jesus tomorrow, my friend. Thank you so much for filling the pulpit for me. That's my brother, Jeff. Chuck called me on the phone this week. I think they were a little worried, uh, and rightfully so. Again, they took the offering before the sermon. Uh, but this is the kind of encouragement that I get, and that's why this place is such a refreshing pl- place. I got an email from Christopher Russell. You're probably here somewhere in this organization. Uh, He, he, he shot, he sent me some stuff. He said, this is about all I've come up with. She was, what a talent. Refreshing, refreshing. Go Christopher. You know, that's good stuff. That's, that is so good. And, and I appreciate so much. Uh, We won't spend as much time on these next two points because the story wraps up pretty quickly, but let's talk about uh, the refreshing runaways, redemption and return. Paul appeals to Philemon uh, and, and there's something here that you probably have in a footnote in your Bible if you have a study Bible, and if you haven't read it or if you don't have a footnote, there's something really cute going on here. Onesimus's name means useful, and Paul is using a play on words, a pun here. He says, formerly Onesimus, profitable or useful, which his name means, was useless to you, and he's been useless ever since he ran away, but now he's come to know the Lord and he's useful to you and to me and to the whole kingdom. And and those of you who are not convinced that you're not useful to the kingdom, you just haven't heard yet the gospel. Uh, you haven't heard that your worth, value, meaning, significance comes from Jesus Christ, not from what the world thinks of you, not from your profit and loss statement, not from what you drive, not from where you live, not from what you wear, not from how many friends you have, not from how many people go to your church. It comes from Jesus Christ. That's where your worth, your value, your significance, the meaning in life comes from. And I'm sure this slave probably had a very poor sense of worth, poor sense of value. And he ends up in prison with Paul. And Paul tells him the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and it's almost too hard to believe. You mean the God who made me? I'm, I'm a slave, God couldn't love me. My society doesn't love me, my culture doesn't love me. I, I, not even my master loves me anymore. I stole from him, I ran away. And Paul says, Jesus will wipe the slate clean. He'll make all things right. Uh, he gives you value and worth, and and there's there's more of the bait that you can use in talking with other people. This gospel is a marvelous thing. Um, you've heard said before that God uh, loves you far more than you ever dared to imagine, and you're far worse than you ever thought. That's what the gospel is all about. And and I've got a, a little illustration that I use from time to time. Um, what's my time? My watch is not working. Oh, what's, what's, am I over? Yeah. I am over. Um, I looked at my watch a minute ago and I was doing really good, but it is dead stopped. I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm going to skip that one. The, the uh, refreshing result. How could Philemon say no? Uh, Paul says, I'll pay back anything he's taken from you. Uh, However he's wronged you, I'll take care of it. Uh, And let me tell you the rest of the story, and this is a wonderful thing indeed. In 110 A.D., a man by the name of Ignatius, uh, he wrote about a wonderful bishop in Ephesus. And he used a little pun saying that his name and his nature were consistent with one another. And guess what the name of that wonderful bishop was? Onesimus. Don't know if it's the same guy here, but it's a very rare name indeed. So I just want to ask you and challenge you today uh, this way. Um, I want you to think of three people. It could be a staff member of this church. It could be a member of this church. Uh, It could be more than three, but at least in that category. Then a family member and then somebody outside your family, at school, at work, a teacher, a coach, uh, a fellow worker, whatever it might be. And I want you right now to think of who those three people are that God would direct you to be refreshing to in this coming seven days. You're gonna do something, say something that is refreshing. They may not even know it. It may be done in silence. It may be done anonymously. But do something for those people Remember, you are the keepers of the springs. Father, thank you for the joy that we've had this morning to be with you. Thank you for the wonderful songs that we have yet in front of us, that the people of this congregation have given testimony to as to why they've been chosen. Thank you, Father, that they would refresh our hearts. Thank you that we'd refresh one another, that husbands would refresh wives, that that members would refresh staff in this church that children would refresh parents and parents' children, and we would be refreshing in the community into which you send us for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said.